Hey everyone, I'm Caitlin Barnard. And I'm Victor Gamow. In this series, we chat with software developers and technology leaders to tackle your biggest API connectivity challenges. Stay tuned to this episode for tools, tactics, strategies that will help you to take your distributed architectures to the next level. Let's begin. Today, I'd like to welcome Scott Lowe, Principal Field Engineer at Kong. And Scott is here to talk to us today about a very important topic and a topic we get a lot of questions on, which is service mesh. So Scott, could you just give us a quick introduction of what exactly service mesh is and how it relates to common connectivity challenges? The idea behind a service mesh is that we have uh, a, a trend towards applications decomposing into different services, different components, right? A component that does you know, user registration, a component that does lookups of reviews, a component that does product uh, lookups and displays that, or, you know, and then one piece that pulls it all together from all these other backend services. And the, all these services need to communicate with one another, but they want some common functionality. They want to be able to authenticate the service traffic to make sure that the service is who it says it is and preventing unauthorized traffic or something of that nature. They want to control, you know, what kind of um, API calls might be being made between services. And the idea behind a service mesh is to take all that functionality and sort of build it into the underlying application platform so that application developers don't have to write that functionality themselves inside the applications they're developing. And they can focus instead on you know, the functionality and the features that add value for their business. One of the really common questions we get is how does this compare to something like an API gateway? The best way to think about it, at least the way that I think about it, is that an API gateway is really more tailored to what I would call user to service um, traffic. You might also see it referred to as like north south traffic. And that is that it's traffic coming from consumers of an application or a consumers of a, a set of services. So this is typically be traffic that would be originating uh, potentially outside, you know, your data center or your cloud environment. It might be coming from another part of your data center or your cloud environment from another application um, outside the mesh. But in any case, it's uh, traffic that's sort of outside the mesh and is coming into the mesh. And then at that point, we have the API gateway, like Kong's API gateway, that's you know, capable of doing all sorts of things to that traffic. Once it gets onto the mesh, then the mesh is responsible for what we call service-to-service -service traffic or east-west traffic. That's where individual components of a larger application begin to communicate with one another. And we want to be able to apply things like traffic routing and, and rate limiting and that sort of thing to that traffic. So think of it as... API gateway handling north-south or user-to-service traffic and service mesh handling service-to-service -service or east-west traffic. Yeah, makes sense. So, you know, we, we talk about service mesh a lot of times, like it's this new thing, um, but really the concept has been around for quite a while. Can you talk about how this compares to, you know, other networking stuff that's come before it? I, I have a networking background. I spent some time in the networking space and uh, in previous roles. And, and so, in the networking world, we have these things called RFCs, requests for comments, very, very common in sort of, you know, the design of internet protocols and stuff. And there's this one RFC um, that is uh, called the 12 Networking Truths. This is RFC 1925. And it's one of a series of what we call joke RFCs that were published on April 1st of the given year in which they were published. This one was published in 1996, and it lists out sort of 12 networking truths um, of things that happen. And, and Truth number 11 is that every old idea will be proposed again with a different name and a different presentation, regardless of where, whether it works, right? Um, now that's, you know, again, this is sort of in the context of trying to be funny and, and network engineers trying to be funny, but 
if you think about it, if you've been in the industry for any, any real length of time, you've seen these trends that sort of come and go and then they come back again, right? And they might be slightly different. There might be some new technology attached to it. And there might be real value there, right? But it is sort of a reincarnation of something previous or an evolution of something that came previously. And that's kind of how I view service mesh. You know, we had this trend of technologies that came that were all about decoupling logical networking from physical networking. So whatever your physical network topology looked like, that didn't matter to the applications or, or workloads that are running on top of it. Kubernetes itself is, uh, you know, a sort of a form of that decoupling of the network topology where we have these overlay networks where pods talk to each other. And that doesn't really matter, you know, with regards to the underlying network structure or the underlying network topology, right? Um, service mesh is sort of an evolution of those technologies. And what it does is it, it doesn't focus so much on the, the lower level networking stuff, but again, it sort of brings in application awareness and sort of higher level functionality. So we're thinking about things like, you know, service to service authentication or mutual TLS, which is encryption and authentication, those kind of things that um, require to the, the service mesh to be sort of higher in the stack and more aware of the applications and the services that it's communicating with, as opposed to some of these previous you know, iterations, which were lower in the stack and really just focused on an IP address or something of that nature, right? Um, so it's really just an evolution of, of this decoupling of logical networking and bringing in more um, application awareness um, and more functionality. Can you walk us through what some of the benefits of Service Mesh are specifically for the user? The answer to that's actually gonna depend on how you define user, right? Um, so let me give you two perspectives on that. First, if you define user as someone who is consuming your application, right? Um, you know, I'm ordinary uh, Joe out here and I am consuming an application that you host via an app on my phone or something of that nature. And you implement service mesh on the back end, you know, I'm not going to see a whole lot of difference, uh, to be honest, right? Now, if you do everything correctly, I might see that your app is faster. I might have, you know, fewer notifications from you that a data breach occurred or you had a security flaw or something of that nature, I might see that, uh, you know, your app is more reliable than maybe some other apps, right? And that all depends on a whole huge wide variety of, of factors. Uh, on the other hand, if you define your user as an application developer or a platform operator, somebody within your organization who is responsible for making sure your applications are available and they work well and they're performant and they're secure and all that kind of stuff, then the benefits that a service mesh brings are, are all of these things that it can do that don't require you to build that functionality into the application itself. You know, for example, when we decouple an application into multiple you know, services, the AKA the microservices based approach, we might want to ensure that one part of the application, one part of the you know, one service that handles a particular part of the application uh, when communicating with another part of the application that we verify the identity of those services. That we don't want somebody to accidentally or intentionally spin up a malicious application and then say, hey, look, I'm service A, and then begin communicating and sending bad data. We wanna ensure that service A is actually service A. Now you can do that by building that functionality into the application, but then you have to fill that functionality over and over and over and over again in every one of the services, right? Instead, what we can do is we can consolidate that functionality into the service mesh, and then application developers and platform operators can take advantage of that functionality over and over and over again, but it's consolidated in the service mesh. And that applies to all the various features and functions that a service mesh can provide, whether it's service to service authentication or mutual TLS or rate limiting or traffic route or anything like that. Awesome. And, and to dive in, you know, even a little bit deeper here to benefits, can you talk a little bit about why service mesh versus, you know, any other approach to doing this? 
Well, the interesting thing here is that so far, the industry doesn't have any other solution for doing this, right? Service mesh is it. Now you might see different variations on service mesh. You might see different technologies being used um, to implement the idea of a service mesh. And you might see the variations on it in terms of whether it only supports containers or whether it supports containers and VMs or what orchestration platforms it supports, you know, Kubernetes or Kubernetes and other platforms. But in, in the end, they're all a service mesh because they all do that same sort of thing. They all provide that same sort of service to service, traffic flow, traffic routing, traffic shaping, rate limiting, authentication, et cetera, et cetera. It's just a matter of which components they mix up to do that, which technologies they use, whether they use you know, the open source Envoy proxy, whether they use something else, um, that sort of thing. But in the end, you know, it's really all service mesh. We haven't really seen the industry create some other solution that is an alternative to service mesh, to be honest, at least not as far as I am aware. Yeah. Yeah, that's a fantastic way of putting it. And then just one more question for you before, you know, we dive in and see this hands-on. And you've talked about this in a few ways already, but can you give a few examples of what types of functionality sit in that service mesh layer? Sure, sure, absolutely. So we have things like um, uh, what we call auth-in, auth-z, and those are shorthand ways of saying authentication and authorization. So we can do things like service-to-service -service, um, authentication and authorization. Um, the difference between those two being authentication, verifying that um, the service is who the service says it is, and authorization being that the service is allowed to do what it's trying to do in terms of calling an API or something of that nature. Uh, we have rate limiting. Um, we have things like advanced traffic routing, being able to route traffic not only at layer four, um, but also at a higher level, what we call layer seven, which would be like on a particular path or URL or API call, um, for example. When we, when we bring in something like mutual TLS, we get not only encryption, encrypting the traffic on the wire, so that it is uh, secure or more secure. We also get that authentication uh, mechanism where uh, services are gonna say, hey, you, you claim to be service A, your certificate um, being used for mutual TLS says your service A, okay, I can trust that the identity is correct and you're allowed to connect and communicate. Um, so we have all this, uh, these kind of features. Um, we also gain some advanced visibility or observability of what's going on uh, in your environment because we can expose additional metrics about what the traffic is doing, or we can insert uh, tracing. We can do limited forms of what you call chaos engineering, uh, where we can inject errors into the traffic in order for application developers to be able to test how their application behaves or how it gracefully degrades in the face of errors or outages. Um, so there's a lot of functionality that you can, uh, that you can see uh, that's baked yeah. into a service mesh. Yeah, that's super helpful. Like you said, there's just so much that can go into that service mesh layer. It's kind of nice to see it laid out like that. Yeah, absolutely. If anyone is interested in learning more about Kuma, you can head over to kuma.io to download it and try it out. Um, we also have a Slack channel there. If you're interested in asking any questions that come up, um, we'll make sure to include those links in the description of this video. So before I close this out, any, any final words, Scott? Uh, no, I mean, I would just encourage folks, if you're interested in exploring what you can do with the service mesh, just take a look at kuma.io, which is our open source service mesh. Um, uh, CNCF Sandbox project and uh, uh, give it a try. So, Awesome. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with me today and we will see you all next time. Thanks to everyone out there for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode as much as we enjoyed recording it. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast using your favorite application so you don't miss a new episode. Don't forget to drop us a comment if you have any questions for today's guests or if there's a topic you'd like to see us cover in the future. 
For more content from today's guest, you can join us on YouTube to see demo segment from this episode of Concast. We'll see you next time.